With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. Charles Darwin. All right, so we are now about three quarters of the way through the NBA season, which means that we are starting to get into the area where some teams are going to be full on tanking. We're not going to we're going to be seeing some guys that really have no business being on NBA rosters and to address those teams that are about to throw in the towel before they actually do so. And while they are still attempting to field legitimate basketball teams, at least in most cases, I thought we could talk about the bottom 10 leagues in the NBA right now, Logan, the NBA bottom feeders. So we're going to be running down what went right, what went wrong and where each of these teams goes from here. And we start from the absolute bottom at 12 and 40. The worst team in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. So, Logan, what went right for them thus far this year? First and foremost, you would be doing them a service by saying they've been attempting to field a competitive team this year. They might be the exception in that they really haven't. I agree. What went right? uh, The Dubs did have a four-game winning streak from December 20th to December 27th. I remember that, actually. That was insane. Yeah. They beat the Suns twice in that streak. That's tough. Yeah. Eric Paschal had a uh, promising rookie campaign, and they did acquire Andrew Wiggins, which, you know, I suppose can go in either category. So I think that the Wiggins one is complicated. I didn't have it in what went right or what went wrong, because I feel like we have to see how Wiggins fits alongside a fully healthy Mm -hmm. warrior squad after an offseason to adapt his game to the system to see if that a trade is really a win or a loss mm. for them. I completely agree on Pascal. 13.2 a game this year on 49% from the field. Brings some legitimate toughness, basketball IQ, a guy that can get you a bucket when is needed, and is a versatile player all around. And that's valuable. Mm-hmm. He will be a rotation piece going forward. I also have what went slightly right, and this shows you the kind of stuff that we're having to dig for here <laughs> in this Warrior season. Establishing that Marquise Chris is actually an NBA player because he's not great. He's flawed, but as a rim runner, uh, he's an exciting athlete. He's capable there. And I think that he's a backup NBA center, which you wouldn't have necessarily said coming into the season. Mm-hmm. And also going to the Wiggins deal, I would say what we cannot dispute was a win for them is getting that first round pick in the 2021 yeah. draft, which is going to be a loaded class. And that, by my estimation, will still definitely be a lottery pick mm-hmm. from the Timberwolves. So on the flip side of that, and we might have more options here, what went wrong for the Warriors this year? Everyone got hurt. And Draymond Green stinks. And I don't mean that as a general Draymond actually sucks, but we saw how much he struggled without having, you know, let's just say it, all-stars around him. And I expected this to be kind of a breakout year for Draymond. I don't mean offensively, of course, but he would show that he can not carry a team, but he can still perform well. And it's just been embarrassing for Draymond and the rest of the squad. I just think that he is one of... The rare exceptions in the NBA and that I think that when he's at his best, he's a legitimate all NBA player, or at least he was a couple years ago. I don't know if he'll ever get back to that level, but he can in no way carry a team offensively because he can't create his own shot. So he's a genius playmaker. He's a genius defensively. But yeah, I mean, when the entire supporting cast around him goes down, he just can't be effective because if you're t- counting on Draymond Green pull up jumpers, well, that's absolutely mm-hmm. terrible offense. Um 
Injuries obviously are the number one yeah. thing here. I think that the other thing that struck early in the season was the misfit between Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell and the fact that it seemed apparent that those two could not play together. And the main issue was defensive, but there were also offensive issues. D'Lo wasn't really moving without the ball. And there also was just a lack of shot creators around them. I mean, it's two guys that every defense could hone in on. It was reminiscent of mm-hmm. last year in the finals when it was Steph and Clay that were those two guys because there weren't respectable offensive players elsewhere. So that was an issue early on. And I'm, I'm going to point out a couple more things here that okay. I went, think went really wrong. Jordan Poole, just flat out terrible. Um, rookie. And he was basically profiled as a guy that could be quick offense for you. And I think he demonstrated pretty clearly that ideally that would be his role, but he's just so inefficient. He's 31% from the field, 26% from three, and doesn't do his job because he's not effective enough offensively. And even as an offensive player, can't really do anything other than just flat out shoot, which he did at 26% this year. Now, I really like Jordan Poole coming out of the draft. I thought he was going to be a stud out of Michigan. Do you think he has a bench role with the Warriors moving forward? He's not the kind of guy that I want to play on a championship team because his only role is quick offense and he's not good enough. And I think that they have other guys that can fill that role like a Damian Lee, a guy that is very flawed, but at least gives you serious effort, has a little bit more grit and a little bit more toughness. Whereas Poole, who was a first round pick, Mm -hmm. keep in mind, and the Warriors have now repeatedly swung and missed on first round picks over the last four or five years. He has a little bit too much confidence and there's a little bit of I'm too good to really go out there and play gritty. I think that he has. One more thing that I think the Warriors messed up this year. They gave up wing depth, legitimate wing depth, guys that I think could play limited minutes on a championship contending team in Glenn Robinson III and Alec Burks Mm -hmm. for only second rounders. And then they also gave up Omari Spellman for, I don't even know what value they were getting out of that, but Spellman is a guy who, yes, is flawed, but he can space the floor and he's a guy that in certain matchups, I think you can throw out there for 15 minutes and adds a dimension offensively because they do not have another stretch big like him on this roster. So the thing with the Warriors is they're way over the cap, obviously, and they don't have the flexibility to go add more assets. So when you have these guys, you give them up and you don't get anything back immediately. That to me is a little bit perplexing because I don't know how they're going to add depth in the offseason. And that's a good point because it's not like the Warriors are a rebuilding team. They're just basically taking this year off because they lost all of their stars. So you do make some very good points that why would you go full tank mode when that's clearly not what's happening in your franchise? Right. And Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks aren't winning you enough games to the point where it's disruptive. And they've shown that, you know, they're fine winning some extra games if it's for the betterment of the team because Steph Curry's coming back. Well, And we've seen with the new lottery system, they could drop to four and still have an awesome opportunity at the first pick. Exactly. So it doesn't matter how terrible you are as much anymore. It just matters that you're bad overall. So where do they go from here, Logan? Well, now this is going to be a theme, obviously, with all these teams because of where they're picking. But mm-hmm. you know your draft pick on the head. Yeah. You bring Steph back. You bring Clay back. And... Hopefully, for Carson's sake, Mm -hmm. everyone can stay healthy and, dear God, sign some bench depth. Yeah, I mean, that's the key. But the thing is, they're going to have to use minimum salaries and the taxpayer mid-level exceptions. So Mm -hmm. the one guy that I would look to target for them as far as free agency would be probably Mo Harkless because I think he's a guy that you could add. If you sell him the whole, you can win a championship thing here. I think you could get him maybe on the mid-level exception or maybe Rodney Hood. I don't know if Rodney Hood is too good and he has a player option, so he'd have to opt out of that. So that's an interesting thing to watch. But yes, the draft is going to be crucial. If I'm the Warriors, first of all, pray you hold on to a top two pick and then take either Denny Avidia or Anthony Edwards. I would take Avidia first. I've been open about that. But Edwards, as a piece, he can be maybe a foundational number one piece after Steph and Clay and Draymond are too old to be effective players anymore. And he can contribute immediately because of his defense and his shooting and his offensive creation. And then you have to pray that a guy like Alan Smilagic, who is sort of a Warriors fan favorite, but hasn't looked all that great in his NBA minutes, you have to pray that he gets good because... You gave up Glenn Robinson and you Mm -hmm. gave up Alec Burks and those guys aren't great, but they can be your eighth man and Smiley Geach now has to assume that role and defensively, I don't know how he gets there. So that's my only concern is how do they have enough legitimate bodies to get into deep playoff runs? I mean, it just seems like the Warriors are banking on the fact that they are going to nail their second round picks on the head and that's, that's tough to do. It's absolutely tough to do, especially in a draft like this where If anything, the depth is what's criticized. There are some legitimate guys at the top, but it's where are you going in the 20s? Where are you going in the 30s? And that's where they'll be picking for for some of their picks. So 
Let's move on to the team that they faced in the finals just a few years ago, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who uh, are sitting at, I believe, 16 and 41 right now. Logan, what has gone right for the Cavs? So I wrote the exact same thing for what went right and what went wrong. And they traded for Andre Drummond and Darius Garland and Colin Sexton proved to be competent NBA players. I mean, it's it's very similar situations for both of them because you were hoping that Garland or Sexton would become world beaters, that they Mm -hmm. would become dominant playmakers, dominant scorers, and dominant defenders. And neither of them proved to be that, but they both both proved to be competent, which forces you to, which we all said at this time, uh, draft time this Mm -hmm. year, someone's going to have to go at some point because this is not sustainable. And I think that's more apparent now than ever. And I don't know if really anything went all that right for the Cavs because they wasted a potential asset in Tristan Thompson, a guy that they could have sold at the trade at the trade deadline for at least a couple second rounders. Maybe you squeeze a first out of a desperate team. And if you're getting off that contract, it helps you immensely. And he has value for other teams. He has no value for them. And now they've made him even more redundant by adding Andre Drummond. Another room, another move that I don't understand because there's no benefit in that for them. I mean, either they... Andre Drummond opts into his player option. They sign him long term, which I think is terrible, or he just leaves. And it was, well, why was he on the team? Well, do you think this is just to keep Kevin Love in Cleveland? Which if I was Cleveland, mm-hmm. I would have moved. I would have moved Love. I would just go full rebuild. I mean, I don't understand the purpose of having Love and Drummond because I don't think either of them at this point in their careers and how Drummond plays are conducive to winning. If their plan is to keep Kevin Love content by bringing back Andre Drummond long-term, this is easily the worst-run franchise in basketball because you're already paying Kevin Love $30 million a year for the next four years. If you do that with Andre Drummond as well, that is absurdly poor management. And yes, I think that that's another place where the Cavs messed up this year. They couldn't unload Kevin Love. And what I've heard from people that are actually reporters in the NBA and know stuff when I listen to their podcast is they say that basically the Cavs considered Kevin Love to be an asset. And so they wanted to acquire assets for trading him, whereas other teams thought we're doing you a favor by taking Kevin Love. So they weren't able to reach a middle ground on that. And what's funny is that's how Andre Drummond was viewed. And look what the Cavs did. Yeah, the Cavs went out there and got him and they didn't really give up much of anything. But I think another thing that went wrong is they've basically instilled in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland that defense doesn't matter, that losing is okay. And I just think that that's a terrible foundation for a career. You could argue that, as you mentioned, Logan, some success out of this is the fact that Sexton, Garland, and Kevin Porter Jr. can all score. But I don't think anyone ever doubted that, including Kevin Porter Jr., who coming into the draft... I thought was a really intriguing guy because of his shot making ability, but it's just not all that relevant when you have three of those guys in no supporting pieces around them that are conducive to winning. Um, what went wrong? I guess we sort of already jumped into that because not much went right, but what else? Yeah, I mean, I think we've covered most of it other than the fact that they don't have any players. They don't have any assets. And we've talked about this, and I'm not trying to put this all on LeBron, but you get a player like LeBron in and you move future assets for winning a championship. And I don't think the Cavaliers would change anything they did Mm -hmm. because it ended in them winning a championship. But when you give up those pieces, you see the state of your franchise and you're second in the lottery now. You have... Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, who, again, are both very good, but you have no one to actually build around. Yeah, no, I mean, they have been decimated. What I wrote down for what went wrong was terrible environment, terrible coach, terrible defense, terrible offense, terrible players. John Beeline, who we didn't even Mm -hmm. touch on, obviously has an alarming midseason departure after apparently basically everyone hated him all season. So, Logan, we've talked about a lot of the things that have been ugly with the Cavs. How do they correct this and where do they go from here? So I think you at least attempt to, I mean, again, like I said, this is going to be for every team, you know, your draft pick. And what I think the Cavs, the best thing they can do is get, I I would love to see them get Anthony Edwards in an ideal world because (laughs) it's funny. I'm going to say he plays defense and then maybe they, they, they beat it out. They could ruin it. They could ruin it. Um, Or you get a guy like Wiseman and Wiseman's a big enough name to where maybe you can get people to come to, uh, Mm -hmm. they still play at the queue. Yeah. You can get people to come to the queue or (laughs) now this one would make me crack up if they get LaMelo Ball. It would, you have a star, but it would make me laugh so hard because now you just have three scoring guards. I think Sexton or Garland have to be moved at the draft Mm -hmm. for an ideal scenario for the Cavs. I agree that they have to move one of those guys, and I completely agree that Edwards is the ideal situation. And then I think 
If Edwards isn't on the board, I'd say you pretty much take best player available because you're not all that committed to any position, especially in the front court, unless, you know, you're talking about Chetty Osman, who I actually like. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's one of the better players on this roster without a question, but I'm not going to uh, limit myself as far as my options. And I think that, yes, they have to move off of Garland or Sexton. And then I also think that they need to clean house. I think that they need to fire Kobe Altman, their general manager, who has been abysmal overall. I think they need to hire someone other than JB Bakerstaff. Unfortunately, JB has taken over this job now. He's the greatest interim coach ever because I think this is his maybe his fourth time taking over as an interim head coach. But it's just not going to work long term. I think he's demonstrated mm-hmm. that. And then try to move Kevin Love, even if that means maybe... I don't want to give up a first to get off of love, actually. I guess I'm content to keep tanking. It just sucks to have him in this environment, and I think their hand will be forced at some point. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what you do with Andre Drummond. I guess you hope he opts out and leave. If he opts in, I try to trade him too, and then you just fire up the tank machine again because that's unfortunately the cycle that they're in right now. They haven't exactly nailed their first two lottery picks. Um, I don't know. Listen, Sexton and Garland have both definitely shown flashes, and I don't necessarily dislike either of them individually, but situationally and together, it's not going to work. Let's move on to the Atlanta Hawks, who currently sit at 17-42. and What went right for the Hawks this year? Well, I mean, Trey Young became a bona fide superstar. DeAndre Hunter proved to be competent, and they traded for Clint Capella at the trade deadline. Um, I mean, outside of that, nothing went well. I mean, Trey Young dropping 30 a night is amazing, but then you look, and Carson, we've had this debate many times on and off the air. You have to figure out if Trey Young's style of basketball is conducive to winning, because right now, there's no one else on this roster that can score the basketball. And you have to determine long term if Trey Young can win you basketball games. Yeah, um, I can't blame Trey Young right now for the fact that he dominates the ball every single possessions and shoots a million times a game and basically creates their offense entirely because that is what this situation requires. There aren't other dynamic shot makers. But I also don't think that he's great enough, and he's very, very good. That is not going to be a championship offense. I I believe that, and he's incredible. He's a brilliant passer. He's a great shot maker. Off the dribble, he's absolutely one of the best as far as shooting from the three-point line. He gets the rim. He's got a great finishing package. Um, I think John Collins' offense is another bright spot from this year, but I think John Collins' defense is somewhere that went wrong. Offensively, Collins is averaging 21 and 10 on 58% from the field and 37.5% from three. And yet that Capella deal to me indicates that they're not fully committed to John Collins. And I don't think that they necessarily should be because when you have a defensive liability like Trey Young, you can't have another one like John Collins. And John Collins is not a defensive center. He's an offensive center. And so I don't know how he fits along Capella long term. I like that they brought in Capella. Capella is not all that old and he's not all that expensive for what he gives you. But I don't think that he works alongside Collins long-term. What do you think went wrong for this team? Cam Reddish did not hit. John Collins is a defensive liability, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest problems on this roster that I think nobody mentions is Trey Young's bombing ability. You know, We think of him as just a three-point marksman. He's shooting 37% from deep, and nobody else on this roster is shooting above 40%, which is almost a requirement in the modern NBA. I mean, their best three-point shooter is Kevin Herter, who's shooting 38.2% from deep. There's just no one outside of the three that we mentioned that I think they can build around. Which is so ironic because the vision for this team is Trey Young and basically three and D wings, a bunch of guys that can shoot. And Herter does it pretty well. Hunter is doing it well enough. Cam Reddish, though, is where it has really gone wrong, shooting 36% from the field and 30% from three this year. Obviously a top 10 pick in this past draft. And I think that we saw he really had a tough time adjusting to the NBA as far as the speed of the game. He struggled to make decisions on this level. He makes a lot of low IQ plays, in my opinion, and he doesn't contribute as the Hawks would have hoped for on defense because that was the goal. Get a three and D wing out of this. Well, the three hasn't been there and the D hasn't been there. Well, I don't want to get too sidetracked by this question, Carson, but do you think that what transpired at Duke, him taking the backseat to RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson has impacted it, impacted him here in his NBA career? Not necessarily. I think that that's sort of just his nature as a player. I think that there are times where he fades. I cannot explain why he shot the ball poorly at Duke and why he shoots the ball poorly in Atlanta because he's got a good looking shot. And I think that what we've seen with Cam Reddish is he's a fluid mover. He looks the part athletically. He looks like he has the shot. And for whatever reason, it hasn't come together yet. And I think part of it is the way that he approaches the game, his IQ, And to a certain extent, his confidence. He's looked better. His last 14 games averaging 13.4 on 43% from the field and 36% from three. If I had to bet on him shooting 
above 30% from three. I would definitely do that going forward in his career, but I don't know if he long-term is a starting piece for this Mm -hmm. team. And I was a fan of Cam Reddish coming into this year. So if he's not a starting piece and as the Hawks look to fill the holes all overall on their extremely young roster, which is another important thing to remember. That's why the playoff discussion for them preseason didn't make sense. They're so young. Where do they go from here? I mean, you have to, it's funny. I mean, you talk about how they built the team around the three and D you have to go out and you have to get another one. I mean, you have to get somebody that can play defense at the two spot. Again, I'm going to preach his name. Anthony Edwards would be awesome here because he picks up for where Trey Young cannot play defense. Mm -hmm. I genuinely think Trey Young is the worst defender in the NBA. I I genuinely agree, except for when Isaiah Thomas is playing. Mm, Good point. Yeah. Um, You need a bucket getter at the four and John Collins cannot run the four in the modern NBA. You just need someone who can go out there alongside Trey and score. Mm -hmm. Just purely a guy that we mentioned, Danilo Gallinari. I don't expect him to go to Atlanta because that's a foolish maneuver on his part. And on top of that, you just need bench depth because it just isn't there in Atlanta. So we have basically the exact same moves written down. I have go get a three and D wing and Listen, Anthony Edwards is the best case scenario because he's more than a three and D wing. I mean, he's a legitimate shot creator and bucket getter and an elite athlete. And then we'll see how Trey Young adjusts to having other guys that really need the ball around him, which would be interesting. But even if it's an Isaac Okoro, who the shot is questionable, but the defense is unquestioned, go get someone that fills that role. And then they're about to have $55 million in cap space. So if they want to try to bring some winning to Atlanta, Gallinari is the guy for them mm-hmm. without a question. I also think that Bogdan Bogdanovich is a guy to to circle. You don't want to overpay him, but he's certainly a bucket getter, and he's a guy that can play play the four for them. I mean, can really play the two through the four. And then I think that it makes sense for them to move Collins, too, because he's a very appealing asset to a lot of NBA teams that doesn't really make sense in Atlanta. He's young. He's super skilled. He's a dynamic athlete. And I think that he's a guy that they could get some serious value for. So let's move on to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have had... Really an unexpectedly poor season, I would say, overall, after they started right around 500 at whatever they were, 9-8. and eight. Now they're 16-40. and 40. Logan, what has gone right for the Timberwolves this year? Well, I mean, you get a guy the caliber of D'Angelo Russell. It's, it's definitely something that went right for your team. And as you mentioned on the live show, Malik Beasley has looked good here so far. Carson, I'm just going to run down a few numbers here before we break down into what went right. November 29, 2019, this team was 10-8. and eight coming off a win over the San Antonio Spurs, and the NBA and me and you had to stop and question, is this team genuinely good? They then proceeded to lose 11 straight and dropped to 10 and 19, and as you know now, they are 6 and 32 since that hot start. And since January 11th, Carson, they have won a whopping one game. I mean, it's incredible when you put it in those terms because they've pretty clearly been the worst team in basketball for most of the season now by just about every metric. Um, But weirdly enough, I think that a lot kind of went right for them this year, except for the fact that they suck on the basketball court because adding D'Angelo Russell is huge. That's a dynamic offensive partner for Carl Anthony Towns, a guy that they have not had anyone the caliber of since maybe Jimmy Butler. But even then, the fit wasn't... um, as complimentary between the two. And also, Carl Anthony Towns really likes D'Angelo Russell, and he did not like Jimmy Butler. Malik Beasley has been great. 22-6 and six on 43% from three. I think he's a guy you got to bring back, as is Juan Aaron Gomez, who is averaging 12.8 for them on 46% from three. These were two guys that were on the fringes of Denver's rotation. Aaron Gomez was not playing, mm-hmm. but he's a legitimate NBA player. So they also got a first-round pick out of Robert Covington. And I've got a couple deep, cut for, deep cuts for you here, Logan. Okay. A couple things, a couple guys that I think have been playing well under the radar for the Timberwolves. The first one is healthy Jake Lehman, who was playing well early this season as an offensive, as an offseason addition that they got uh, in a sign and trade from the Trailblazers. He was averaging 10 a game on 35% from three, and he just made his return. They have him for two more years on just seven and a half million dollars. I think he brings them actual valuable wing depth two-way ability, and he's a nice guy to have for that cheap. And then another guy, Nas Reed, who was an undrafted rookie, averaging eight a game on 36% from three, can space the floor as a big man, is really a quality rim runner and a nice athlete. So I think that they have some sneaky wins from this season on what has overall been, at least in the win-loss column, a tremendous failure. What surprises me most about this team, Carson, is they are somehow better in defensive rating than offensive rating doesn't make any sense to me at all. I think that you see the lack of weapons around Cat, but I mean, yeah, this team should be. I mean, it makes sense that their defense is terrible. Mm -hmm. It does not make sense that their offense is that bad. So 
Besides the offense, what went wrong for this team this year? Carl Anthony Towns doesn't know how to play defense. I mean, that's True. first and foremost. And then there's just nobody else here. And that's a big problem. You have one star. It's very similar to the Hawks situation, I think, when you look at it. And you have such an offensively talented player in Carl Anthony Towns or Trey Young, and there's just no one else there. Andrew Wiggins fooled us into thinking he was good for, well, not fooled me, but some of you may have been fooled by into thinking that Andrew Wiggins mm-hmm. was genuinely good. And then once Wiggins came back to earth, you realized, man, this team blows. Yeah. What I think is promising, though, is they may have added their second through fourth best guys at the deadline mm-hmm. in Beasley, D'Lo, obviously, and maybe Aaron Gomez isn't quite in that tier. Not long term, you don't want him to be a top four guy, but he's a solid player. Yeah. I mean, not caring has been a huge issue for this team. The fact that Cat hated every second of his existence with the Timberwolves before D'Angelo Russell showed up and obviously dealt with injuries. And then I think you look at the lack of development from some of the young guys that they invested in. Josh Okogie, who is a three-point shot away from being a very good NBA player. He's athletic. He's always engaged defensively, which is kind of a rarity on this team. Just still can't shoot the three. Only 25% this year. Jarrett Culver, who they picked sixth overall, of course, really struggled for the most part in this year. Had some good stretches. Is interesting as a playmaker. There might be some defensive ability there, but 39% from the field, 28% from three and 9.1 points per game is not what they were hoping for out of a rookie that they took in the top six in the draft. So we'll see how he develops long term. I'll be interested in seeing if he's a primary ball handler or a secondary ball handler, but his rookie campaign wasn't all that great. So... As we look to how the Timberwolves build going forward, what do they do from here? So I think you either package your first rounder in your Nets pick along to get a, you know, a dominant three and deer, or you can try to create the greatest offense ever if you can pull off a Brad Beal trade, which I don't think is feasible. I just wanted to, you know, spice up the yeah. draft a little bit. Or again, you just pray your pick hits. I mean, you could get LaMelo Ball, as you mentioned, you could get... I mean, any any team will be lucky to have Anthony Edwards. We're going to keep bringing him up. Carson, are there any other guys outside of Ball or um, Edwards that you think they could add to this team and get minutes right away? It depends on where they pick. I mean, Isaac Okora is a guy that I look at because they have that need for a 3 and D wing. But again, he needs to show that he can consistently hit the outside shot. The draft's going to be interesting. LaMelo is tremendously talented. I think that this totally depends on where they end up drafting. I could see them going a bunch of different situations. And they're obviously not going to take a center, but that's about all I could guarantee. I think other things they have to do, re-sign Beasley and Aaron Gomez assuming that they don't have outrageous price tags, which I don't think they will. And then you just got to hope Culver improves and you go for the best player available in the draft and you worry about building the rest of your team later. And I don't think they're going to be a great team next year because I think there are going to be huge defensive issues, but they will be a fun team, which is a step up from the misery that they went through this year. So let's move on to maybe the definition of misery when it comes to NBA terms. The New York Knicks, who are currently sitting at 17 and 40, really bordering on a new low. So I'll ask you, Logan, and this is a tough one. What went right? Marcus Morris rose his stock enough to be traded for a first round pick. Yeah, that's actually a good point. That's it. The only thing that went right. I think you could argue also that the fact that Leon Rose will be taking over as president of basketball operations next week could be a good thing because they fired the clearly incompetent Steve Mills and having someone that players actually like could be good because Rose is a really prominent, I believe he's a CAA guy. He's He's a huge agent. He has a bunch of connections in that way. He represents a bunch of relevant players, which is a good thing to have when everyone hates your owner. And so they're automatically sort of deterred from your losing franchise. I think the much easier question here, Logan... What went wrong for the Knicks? So they lost out on Zion, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and R.J. Barrett is horrendously inefficient. I mean, they were banking on R.J. Barrett becoming a stud, on becoming a scoring machine, and he's he's just been terrible. Yeah, he's really struggled, and I think that the biggest issue is that he's playing with no space offensively. I mean, the Knicks make the least threes in basketball at a bottom five clip, and so He's a guy that really needs space around him to be effective because he's not a great shooter himself. He thrives off of driving kick situations and getting to the bucket. And they don't have that because they built a team with a bunch of big fours that like to dominate the ball and take pull-up mid-range jumpers. I'm talking about Bobby Portis and Marcus Morris and Julius Randle, who doesn't take the mid-range shots, but is a ball-dominant guy because he thinks he's kind of a point guard. And I feel bad for Randle and Portis because they can be effective in different situations, and this situation sucks. But then it's unwatchable basketball, and you look at how they handle 
handled all the young guys on this roster. Kevin Knox playing 18 minutes a game, shooting 36% from the field, 32% from three. I've been totally right on Kevin Knox thus far. I would mm-hmm. like to say he was my least favorite player in that draft. Mitchell Robinson only playing 22.6 minutes a game. Dennis Smith Jr., who was the biggest name out of the Christoph Porzingis trade, is one of the worst players in the NBA, flat out. Alonzo Trier, who's a certified bucket getter and showed that last year as a great undrafted rookie, doesn't even play while you have Frank Nilakina, who's as offensively inept as ever. And these are, I mean, these are lottery picks that are disastrous. And the guys that I like, the Mitchell Robinsons and the Alonzo Triers, aren't playing as much as they should. It's inexplicable to me. And Mike Miller, their interim head coach, has to be gone because he hasn't demonstrated anything that gives me any faith in him. You don't think his record signifies that they should keep him whatsoever? What is his record? I mean, I know it's better. 22. I no. I would I wouldn't invest in that because I mean at the end of the day, these are meaningless wins and I think that there's still people want to win for the Knicks and that's I think the intrigue is you get to save the most desperate franchise in the biggest market in the biggest basketball city in the world and maybe they can get a a talented coach out of that it simply doesn't make any sense that the New York Knicks the most valuable franchise in basketball in are they in all no not in all the sports but you know those soccer teams are way Mm -hmm. more valuable Mm -hmm. but the Knicks the most prestigious franchise maybe outside of the Lakers you can make that case they suck, and they've sucked for so long. And they've been so consistently mismanaged. It doesn't matter who they get in there as a GM. It doesn't matter who's the president of basketball operations. It doesn't matter what name you get. And you can attribute it to James Dolan, and that's probably mm. fair to a large extent. I don't know the guys. I know that he makes some great music in his free time. But it's a it's a terrible culture. And as far as what they do from here, I think that the rest of the season, play your young guys. Because mm. – might as well get him out there, yeah. get him experience, and test, do we have to draft another guy at this position, or are we set here long-term? I think if you look to the offseason, drop the perplexing contracts with Ellington. Actually, I, I liked that contract at the time, but drop the team option there, drop the team option with Taj Gibson and Bobby Portis, and then you fire up the tank again. Mm-hmm. And I think you hire a new coach because I don't think that Mike Miller is the long-term answer. What else do you think they have to do? I mean, and obviously all of these teams can't do this. I'm going to say it again. You have to nail your draft pick. Obviously, like I said, some teams won't do this and we'll be talking about them here next year. But the Knicks have to because they haven't. I mean, their only hit was Kristaps Porzingis and he's in Dallas right now because you gave him up for Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah. It's a foolishly run team and I pity you New York Knicks fans. Well, and also, you know, you pointed out how they missed out on Zion. They're also one pick away from John Morant. The drop-off from two to three, and I'm not out on R.J. Barrett by any means. He's had a tough rookie year, but I think a bunch of that is the basketball situation that he's in. But (laughs) he's he's a long ways behind those two. So... I don't know how they build going forward. I guess they're going to sign some more bad contracts and they're going to convince us all that in 2021 they're going to get Giannis and Dame because that's just what they do. So, or did Dame sign an extension? Dame did sign an extension, mm-hmm. so you can't get him anymore. But maybe they'll get Kawhi and Paul George. I don't know. We'll see. So let's move on to the Detroit Pistons who are currently sitting at 19 and 41. Logan, what went right for the Pistons this year? Luke Kennard seems to have some great upside moving forward and they got Andre Drummond's giant contract mm-hmm. off the books. Uh, Kennard this year, 15.8 points, 3.5 rebounds, and 4.1 assists per game. And he was almost like an all-star light kind of player. I mean, Kennard lit it up for a little bit. He came back to earth. But they have someone to build around finally. And like I said, you get Drummond's off, off the books. It gives you some free agent leverage. I love Kennard. I think that he's one of the big wins of this season. Even though he hasn't played since before Christmas, he showed that he's a guy that can really operate out of the pick and roll. Is awesome off ball because he's such a great spot up shooter. And I think that there are other young guys to really like for this Pistons team where early, I mean, before the season began, I guess the expectations would have been playoffs. Best case scenario. Didn't seem like that was ever going to happen. And when Blake went down, it was pretty clear that that wasn't even in the realm of possibility. But then you get the guys that rise up like a Luke Kennard. And going deeper, Christian Wood, a guy that hadn't played more than 21 games in a season coming into this year, they pick him up off the scrap heap, and he's averaged 12-6 and six on 56% from the field and 37% from three this year, and in 10 games in February, is averaging 19-9, and nine, one of my favorite players in basketball, and currently my Twitter banner, because I think he's dynamic athletically, he can shoot the ball, and he's only 24 years old, you have to hold on to a guy like him, and I think that they've gotten production, or at least 
intriguing moments from other young guys. Sekou Dumboya, who they took 15th overall in the draft, a pick that I did not love because he was so raw. He's shown flashes. Uh, you know, his production may not blow you away. 6.7 points per game on 39% from the field and 30% from three, but he's fluid. He's confident. He can handle the ball and his shot is respectable. Sometimes he misses by a lot, but you know, you don't want to leave him wide open consistently and he gives effort and he started the year in the G League. So he's already come far to be a decent NBA player and he just turned 19 two months ago. So he's super young. And another young guy that they invested in a couple years ago in the draft, Bruce Brown, who's a really good passer, is a Swiss Army knife, a guy that gets to the bucket, I think should be able to defend long term in this league and now has improved his outside shot enough to where it's 34% from three, which was his real one weakness. And now he's solid there. So I actually like a lot of their young pieces. The issue is they don't have anything resembling a number one and they don't have that many great players for right now. So they're unfortunately getting a little bit late to the all in on the tank because they were invested in the Blake Drummond duo for so long. So looking to what went wrong for the Pistons this year. I mean, Blake Griffin fell off a cliff and their young assets are still growing. Um, Griffin, obviously, I know he's hurt again. Um, It it doesn't seem like we're ever going to see prime Blake once more. So I think where they go from here is definitely going to be an interesting conversation, but I think you have to initiate the tank. Yeah, no, it absolutely is the next step, but you're not going to be able to get rid of Blake mm-hmm. because he's got a huge contract on him. And it sucks because I think you could argue he was a top 15 player in basketball coming into this year with what he did last year, demonstrating elite offensive versatility as a guy that could handle, shoot, attack the basket and play make for others. And now when he's actually been healthy, has looked like a shell of himself, which is a shame. I think you see the weird thing with Andre Drummond. The fact that they got no value for him is a little Mm -hmm. disappointing. And a deep cut, Kyrie Thomas, a guy that I liked a couple years ago in the draft, can't even crack their rotation at all. He's played three games this year and has been healthy to my knowledge. So that's problematic for them. A lot has gone wrong for them overall, I would say. Logan, looking forward, where do they go from here? So, I mean, you have to move Blake. Mm -hmm. Somehow, if if it's waiting it out, And then after you find out a way to get off of Blake Griffin's contract, you sit and you just wait. Next year, don't worry about winning. You put out some young guys out there. You try to get young assets in free agency through the draft, however you may do it. You just sit back and wait and you lose because I don't think that there's anything else the Detroit Pistons can do immediately to win games next season. Let me ask you this, because I think this is probably what's going to end up happening. If they can't get rid of that Blake Griffin deal, which is if he accepts his player option, which he will two years, 75 million left on that. I don't think that they can unload that deal. And if they can't, what steps do they take? You let Blake sit there. You let Blake get frustrated to the point where he nearly demands a trade because you have, you have no dog in this fight. You have no, you have no reason to try to build a winning team around Blake. You don't have the assets to do it. And you're just going to have to sit and lose. And it sucks that it's like that. I agree that they have to lose. I think they're probably going to have to lose with Blake though, because that contract is seriously problematic for other teams, but They could go a bunch of ways in the draft. I think that they could take Tyrese Halliburton, who is one of my favorite prospects. I think he could compliment Kennard. They could take Onyeko Kongwu, who brings them a lot of defensive versatility as a center, as a legitimate finisher offensively, and has shown flashes of maybe having a projectable jump shot. So as you know, one of the themes of this is you have to be one of the teams that gets whoever the good guys are going to end up being from this draft. And it's certainly there's uncertainty at the top 10, but I think fit wise, those are a couple of intriguing picks for them. Let's move on to the Charlotte Hornets, a team that basically everyone expected would be the worst in the NBA. I stood and vouched for them as people like Peyton T. Gallagher said they were going to win nine games. And I said, no, they'll win 21 games. And they're already at 19. They've definitely fallen off a bit, but sitting at 1938, Logan, what has gone right for the Hornets this year? Devontae Graham has proven to be pretty good, and the Hornets weren't the worst team ever. I mean, I genuinely expected this team to win maybe 10 games, and so Devontae Graham coming out and going, not going insane, but definitely lighting it up from a guy that we saw put up, what, four and a half points Mm -hmm. last season. Mm -hmm. It's definitely tremendous. It gives someone to build around moving forward, and like I said, they're winning a decent amount of games to the point where I'm not questioning if this is one of the stupidest organizations in sports. I think you would argue weirdly that almost everything went right for the Hornets yeah. this year. Basically, everything has panned out on the basketball court. Terry Rozier, who they invested in this offseason with a three-year $57 million deal that I was highly skeptical of, his adjustment to uh, to the two has actually, he's been really productive there, shooting 39% from three, averaging 17-plus a game, playing off ball. Devontae Graham has been a revelation as one of the best pure shooters in basketball, a great playmaker. 
P.J. Washington alongside that? P.J. Washington has shown that he is just a flat-out good NBA player, can stretch the floor, and just as a high-level offensive player all around, Miles Bridges continued to develop with another good year. The only spot I think you could argue they went wrong is with Malik Monk because Malik Monk has been had been playing better as of late, now is suspended indefinitely with a violation of the league's anti-drug policy, um, but he wasn't great on the year overall, shooting 28% from three, still some huge issues defensively and as a playmaker. And my expectations for Malik Monk were super high because I think that when he's at his best, he's a thrilling player to watch that can score 30-35 on anyone. Well, he was your most improved player pick, He was right? my most improved player pick, so... He certainly is not most improved. He is barely improved from last year when he was not a very good NBA player. So looking forward, where do they go from here? So you have to move off of your bad contracts that you gave out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to. Bismack Biombo becomes a free agent. You let him walk. Mm-hmm. Cody Zeller's getting 15 mil, but he's a good enough player where I can justify holding on to him. Mm-hmm. Nick Batum has a $27 <laughs> million dollar player option. Smooth one there, MJ. Um, yeah. You have to find a way off of him moving forward. I mean— uh, Let me tell They're not going. Yeah, well, I could say— It is finally an expiring— but I don't think that they're going to find a team that will trade someone with a big enough contract to match that. Well, I'm saying you either just he, – he's going to accept his player option because there's no way he's getting 27 mil from anywhere else. So you let it expire next year. And like I said, try to just get a solid player in the draft. I don't think that they're going to be drafting high enough to get a, a real dynamic mm-hmm. game changer for them. But if you get a solid maybe rotational piece moving down the road and most importantly, do not give contracts – to, to players, don't give yeah. exorbitant contracts to players that simply aren't good enough. And I like James Borrego retain him moving forward. I agree. I think Borrego's a good guy. He's got the Spurs coaching tree aspect, which is always intriguing. Um, I think that ideally this team should take Onyeko Kongwu in the draft because really their only positional need long-term is center. They have good young guys at every other position going forward. But I guess I misuse the word ideally because... The real ideal situation is they shoot up in the draft and they get a top three pick and they're able to draft an Anthony Edwards type. Now, that's obvious for everyone, but the Hornets are in a bit of a unique situation in that I like all of their players individually. I really like P.J. Washington. I like Miles Bridges. I like Devontae Graham. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I kind of like Terry Rozier in his current form. But none of those guys are number ones going forward. And are they going to be destined to a decade of mediocrity where it's like, oh, that was a good value pick. Oh, Devontae Graham, where no one expected anything. That was a great pick up for them, but that team's going to win 38 games unless they get a legitimate number one. Yeah, I'd argue that you're still going to be in the Kemba Walker spot, and that's exactly where you don't want to be. Right. You're in the Kemba Walker spot, except you don't have the one star. You have a bunch of solid guys, which isn't enough to get you over the hump. Let's move on, Logan, to a team that you had in the NBA playoffs. I'm sorry I had to put it out there. The Chicago Bulls, what went right for them this year? So, I mean, Zach Levine's good. And uh, yeah, Kobe White, I guess, can score off the bench. He's been on fire recently. Uh, That's it. That's all I got. All I had was Chandler Hutchison was playing pretty solid minutes before he got hurt. One of my favorite guys in the draft a couple years ago. And then he got hurt. Uh, And inexplicably, they somehow have the number 13 defensive rating in basketball, which I will never understand because they do not look like a good defensive team when I watch them play. Let's get on to the easier category. What went wrong? So Larry Markinen made no strides in his game whatsoever. And Jim Boylan, to put it, uh, you know what, this is generous. He's incompetent. That's that's generous to you, Jim Boylan. I would argue that saying that Laurie Markkinen made no strides is, is generous. I mean, he regressed in a way that I certainly did not expect, especially after he came out in the season opener and dominated Char- Charlotte, had like 34 and 17 or something, and was getting to the basket like a crazy man. 53% of his shots came from three this year, which is such an indication of a passive player with such a well-rounded offensive skill set mm-hmm. that just hasn't been using it and has been relegated to that spot-up shooter role because Zach Levine wants to shoot 50 times a game and Jim Boylan has no authority to tell him otherwise. You know what's funny, Carson? What? We can say moving forward at any time, you know, Laurie did have that 40-pointer, uh, he did that 40-piece uh, yeah. a while back. Because he, I mean, he should, it, he should have plenty of 40-pieces. And it'll always be something that we call back on and say, well, you know, he's got potential. He did have that 40-piece a while back. Because I, I think that he has legitimate offensive potential. He can score out of the post. He can attack off the dribble. He obviously can shoot the ball well. But this year, career lows in points, rebounds, field goal percentage, and three-point percentage down from 19-9 and nine last year to 15-6.5 and six and a half this year. It's really disappointing from him. Looking elsewhere... Wendell Carter Jr. struggled to stay healthy for the second straight year. Didn't really show much improvement. Kobe White, to me, 
I would not say that this was a promising year from him overall. I think that he showed that he can't and doesn't want to do anything but shoot the ball every time he touches it. 11.4 field goal attempts to 2.4 assists per game from a guy that is supposed to be your point guard. He's not a point guard long term. He's a shooting guard. Um which at least he has the height to play that position because he's 6'4", but sub 39% from the field on the year, no defense. And people are all excited that he scored 33 in three straight games right now. But I mean, he had three hot shooting nights. It was bound to happen at some point. He's shooting the ball 20 plus times a game, 10 times from three. And yeah, he's a good pure shooter of the basketball. So I'm out on him. I don't think he showed any development as a basketball player. So in the abysmal situation that the Chicago Bulls currently find themselves, where do they go? Carson, this was a tough one. Okay. This was a tough one. Okay. Um, but what you've got to do, mm-hmm. while Laurie Markkinen's stock is high, move him. Trade him for an asset because, wow. yes, he may have the tools, but he's obviously not going to do anything here. I say you move Markkinen. The second thing you do, you determine all of your stock in your guards. I like Chris Dunn as a backup defensive point guard, but not anything else. I say you move Kobe White to the two, as you mentioned. I have that written down because Kobe White's not a point guard. Mm-hmm. Um you check in on Zach Levine, most importantly. And if Zach Levine doesn't want to be in Chicago, and it sucks trading away an asset that you just got a few years back yeah. in that Jimmy Butler deal, but you move Zach Levine because clearly he doesn't want to be here and you can get young assets. You go full tank mode and you determine what you're going to do with Wendell Carter. The Bulls are in one of the worst situations, I think, in the NBA. They don't have a top draft pick other than, you know, I mean, they. They'd go eight right now if mm-hmm. we didn't have a lottery system. But unless they jump up in there, this is a dis- this is a dim-looking future for the Chicago Bulls. Which is shocking to me because two years ago, I loved the Bulls. I thought that I liked a bunch of the individual players they were drafting. And what we saw is they drafted a bunch of guys that just don't work together. You know, some of us liked them about six months ago. That's true, Logan. You were in that camp. And I will I will say your name on that one. But I think the first step. And I think every Chicago Bulls fan in America will agree with me. Fire Gar Foreman and John Paxson, the worst front office in basketball, I think almost indisputably, and they've certainly the most discussed as far as when it comes to terrible front offices. Just get them out of there. It's been too long. And then I would take a point guard in the draft if I were them, because I think there's good depth at the point guard position this year. You have guys like Theo Maladon or Killian Hayes or even Nico Mannion, depending on where you're drafting. I wouldn't want to take Mannion top 10, but, and then you move Kobe to the two. I would actually try to move Levine instead of Markkanen because I think that Levine soaks up so many shots. I think he'll probably attract a hotter market because some desperate franchise will want to give up a lot for the guy that can score 25 a game and can dunk like crazy and can shoot the lights out when he's on. But I don't think he's conducive to winning because I think he, frankly, he's just a ball stopper. He's a ball dominant guy that doesn't play defense. And then you try to revive Laurie Markkanen and Wendell Carter, however you can, and you get ready to tank again. Let's move on to the Washington Wizards, who for a while had a guy that was in the conversation for worst front office and Ernie Grunfeld, replaced him with Tommy Shepard. But what went right for the new look Wizards? Bradley Beal chucked up a bunch of shots and the Wizards finally figured out how offense works. Um, that being said, they have no idea how defense works. I, I genuinely think that they just, they just don't play it. I haven't watched a whole lot of Wizards games. I don't think they play defense. Well, they have the worst defense in the league by defensive rating. But the offensive system, I've really enjoyed all year long. And I think Scotty Brooks actually did a really good job here. I don't think his job should be um, in threatened in any way because I think he did a good job with the talent he had. If you think about preseason expectations, it was the Wizards and Hornets at the absolute bottom of the NBA. And those two teams have actually salvaged this season to be respectable for the most part. The Wizards are the nine seed right now. But offensively, they play at the fourth fastest pace in the league, and they've made guys like Anses Pasesniks look good. Mo Wagner looked awesome pre-injury. They just play with pace and space, and it's all predicated on Bradley Beal, but they've maximized talent. People expected Thomas Bryant to be the second best player on this team coming in, and they've been, I mean, they've been bad overall, but they're <laughs> nearly in the top half of the East. You have the Bertans revolution, averaging 15 a game on 42% from three, and Bradley Beal, man, 30 four and six this year is an all-around weapon off ball can get to the line uses mid-range really well still as having a bit of a down year shooting from three overall at 33 percent but everyone is terrified of him from the perimeter when he gets going and then you'll get their first round pick Rui Hachimura Mm -hmm. a guy that can clearly score at an NBA level 13.8 a game I wish that he was more of a floor spacer still shooting only 24.8 percent from three but gets to the rim is a strong athlete can knock down for mid-range. So I think actually weirdly a lot went right for the Wizards this year. You want to hear an interesting uh, number, Carson? Okay. 56 games this year. The Wizards are currently at 20 and 36. Uh Uh-huh. They allowed, in 27 of 56 games, they had 120 points scored on them. That doesn't surprise me. 
27 to 56. And of course, lost that. It was like their fourth game of the year where they lost 158 to 159 in regulation. Well, I mean, it makes sense if you think about it because they play at a super fast pace and then per possession, they're the worst defense in basketball. But there was a time where they were scoring up near 120 Mm -hmm. themselves. So they've been a weirdly fun team besides the defense, which was abominable. What else went wrong for this team? Uh, John Wall is on the stupidest contract in basketball. And it it just uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, They they're handcuffed to John. Yeah. They are handcuffed to John Wall until his contract's out because no one's going to take him. Yeah. And even at the time, Carson, when John Wall got his back, he was healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Fans were sitting there questioning, why would you yeah. do this? Because for one, he doesn't deserve to be the highest paid point guard in basketball. Second of all, then he gets hurt, which obviously you can't control, but he didn't deserve to be the highest paid point guard in basketball. And now you're just, you're stuck. You're stuck, I think, maybe even worse than, not worse than the Bulls because the Wizards at least have Brad Beal, but mm-hmm. they are stuck in the Kemba Walker situation once more. Well, I think that that's actually a perfect segue to what I was going to raise as a question for what went wrong. Maybe they weren't bad enough this year because if the lottery goes remotely as projected, they're not going to be picking right near the top. And see, this is why the Warriors are playing chess and the rest of the league is playing checkers. Yes, they are bringing back all of these stars, but the Warriors said, Steph, chill out. We're going to get a top three pick most Mm -hmm. likely in the lottery. And the Wizards with Brad Beal. Now, again, just Brad Beal, if he's healthy, is going to go out there and ball. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think they won a little too much. Yeah. Another thing that I would point out that I think went wrong, they gave up Jordan McRae for no reason. He was averaging 12.8 a game on 38% from three, a legitimate shot creator and bucket getter, and a guy that I liked just to get Shabazz Napier, who is really bad overall. But we talked about some of the directions this team can take, and they are definitely limited by that John Wall contract. But where do you see the Wizards going from here? You keep developing Roy Hachimura Mm -hmm. um, because he's really just one of the only young assets you have on this Mm -hmm. team. You keep Brad Beal, I think, because I think ideally for the Wizards, they keep Beal, they get off the wall contract, and then they see what happens from there. Mm -hmm. If Beal gets frustrated, though, I mean, you just go full tank mode and you let John Wall do whatever he wants with the rest of his contract. You try to get Beal moved for a young good asset and see what happens from there. Yeah, I would not force a Bradley Beal trade, but if Bradley Beal, who has been a class act overall, I would say, I know he's been disappointed losing back-to-back games in which he scored 50, which has gotten a bunch of national attention, but of course, that's natural. Um, If he's banging on your door saying, get me out of here, then I think you move him um, and hope you get good assets out of it. I still don't think I would force it even if he's demanding a trade if the market isn't there, but at the same time, if someone... If the Nuggets come to you and say, we'll give you Michael Porter Jr. and whatever else, you take that. I think that if you get a legitimate deal that you feel is of commensurate value to Bradley Beal, then you accept that. But as far as the draft, if we're building around a world in which this team still does have Bradley Beal, who's only 26, so... Yes, he's out of their window a bit, but he's not old. I think you draft a complimentary point guard, maybe Maladon or Killian Hayes, these guys that are pass first but can also score. I can see them uh, acquiescing to this offensive system. And besides that, I mean, there's really not much of consequence that they can do besides trade Beal because the wall deal has them limited as far as all cap situations. And if John Wall comes back and is a semblance of himself, maybe this team makes a playoff push. I don't know. I have no idea what John Wall is going to be, though. We won't have seen him play basketball Mm -hmm. for a year and a half. All right, so that's going to do it on the Wizards. As we move into the last team in this conversation, they actually don't belong here by record because they're half a game better than the Suns, but they feel like they've been one of the bottom feeders in basketball this year. Your Sacramento Kings, Logan, who you picked to make the playoffs, what went right for them this year? Well, Carson, what didn't go right for the Sacramento Kings? They're one of the fastest teams in the league and pushed the pace to a record of 32-24 and 24 right now. Darren Fox <laughs> was an all-star and is balled out. Buddy Heald is a premier spot-up shooting talent, and Dave Yeager has delivered on all the promise and defensive schemes he was touted for in Memphis, and they seem to be one good draft pick or free agent signing away from championship contention. No, Carson, none of that happened. Yeah, that's all true. They, uh, they hired Luke Walton, who was genuinely atrocious and detrimental to the uh, growth of this young, quick team. Then they dropped from 5th in pace to 25th in pace. They didn't improve in defense, and they dropped from all 16th offensive rating to 21st in offensive rating. And Marvin Bagley III got hurt. Yeah, I mean, this was a disappointing season for so many reasons. And the most perplexing thing ever will be the fact that they're paying, playing at the 25th fastest pace in basketball. I've talked about why everything about this team suggests you should play with pace. You have one of the quickest players in basketball in De'Aaron Fox and one of the best pure shooters in basketball 
in Buddy Heald alongside him. And if you get those two in transition, guess who's scrambling every single possession? The other team. And they just haven't pushed it this year. The lost season from Bagley sucks. I don't understand because now we're just going into what went wrong because that's what that was, Logan, if I'm not mistaken. For some reason, they didn't pick up the option on Harry Giles this year, who's looked really solid for them when he's been out there. He's got nice hands. He's got a good feel for the game. He's a solid playmaker. And he's still a nice, smooth athlete, in my opinion. And the environment of this team got to the point where Dwayne Dedman demanded a trade. Which is absurd because Dwayne Dedman has no – he has no leverage in this situation. He has, no he has zero in this situation. It's like when Thon Maker demanded a trade. Except, you know, weird people on the internet know who Thon <laughs> Maker is. People don't know who Dwayne Dedman is. So, yeah. And on a side note, the Harrison Barnes deal, I know that it didn't happen this year, but three years, $61 million left. I know it happened before this year, didn't it? I mean, just what a – Miserable contract. The thing that perplexes me so much about the Sacramento Kings is it's not like they're not talented. Yeah. I mean, you have Nemanja Bialica, who is shooting the lights out this season. Mm -hmm. He's awesome. You have, uh, I mean, Harrison Barnes. He's okay. He's, dude, how scraggly is he going to be by the end of this season? Oh, my God. Well, I don't know what the what the bylaws of the contract said, but if he's going into next year until they're above 500, I mean, he might grow this thing out for ages. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have so much talent. You have Rashawn Holmes, who I know you love so much. I love Rashawn Holmes. You have Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it just, I scratch my head. And you know what, Carson? Fine. They will be my Sacramento Kings moving forward because I will cheer for them until they are talentless. I mean, it just is so disappointing for so many reasons. They were one of the most fun teams in basketball last year. They had such a promising future overall. And I mean, listen, I don't think that by any means the majority of the criticism here falls on Buddy Heald or De'Aaron Fox. Neither of them really improved, though, which I do think is something worth noting. And Buddy Heald is 45 years old, which might be problematic going forward. But that's part of what is so strange about this. I mean, they got some diamond in the rough performances. Bielitsa, who, yeah, had shown that he was a legitimate NBA player, shooting 44% from three this year and giving you 12 points a game. He's a weapon out there. And Rashawn Holmes, another guy that just tremendous value. He's missed a big mm-hmm. chunk of games as of late now, but was averaging 13 and eight and a half and 1.4 blocks per game on 66% from the field is a great finisher at the rim and is a guy that gives you effort constantly defensively. And they have him for just about 5 million next year. They have Bielitsa for just about 7 million next year. These are great contracts and really valuable players that uh, they didn't get anything out of essentially because mm-hmm. they lost a bunch of games this year. So... Luke Walton, I, you know, they're not going to fire him after this year because they invested in him. I hope that they fire him after next year, though, because I don't see him turning this team around when he so fundamentally somehow misunderstands their personnel. It blows my mind that this team is playing slow right now in comparison to league average. But the question is, with the talented players that they have, where do they go from here? Fire Luke Walton. Okay, you say after this year? Yeah. Vivek Ranadive is going to oppose you, I think. Because he probably doesn't want that hit against his wallet. But it might be – it's probably the right decision overall because I don't know what he's done to show he deserves another year. I mean as you mentioned, so many good performances from a lot of players that you wouldn't expect out Mm -hmm. of. And like you said, you just waste them. And you can't do that because you're not going to get many many good years out of these guys. They're valuable. And Luke Walton is – I was going to call him a cancer to the team. Mm -hmm. He's terrible for the King squad. Yeah. Well, and also you have to consider the fact that Buddy Heald is 52 years old, so your window is definitely limited. No, he's 79. He's 83 years old. Um, I think that their biggest decision to make this offseason is if they bring back Bogdan Bogdanovich because he's a guy that in a weak free agent class I could see uh, getting a lot more money than he probably deserves. If he wants like $20 million, don't give him to him because he's a very good player. He's fun to watch. He's a shot maker. He's a playmaker. But he has to be a guy that you're willing to let walk because sometimes these guys... That's why you have to be willing to get let a guy like Harrison Barnes walk and you don't pay him $85 million for four years because that's how you pigeonhole yourselves as a franchise. You know what I think is funny, Carson? What? For, for you guys who have not gotten the joke yet, uh, Buddy mm-hmm. Heald's actually 27. Yeah. Bradley Beal and Buddy Heald are only separated by 193 days. And I'm not comparing Bradley Beal as a player to Buddy Heald, but 193 days separates the two. Well, but Buddy Heald's older. Yeah. And Bradley Beal was taken – Four drafts earlier. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a crazy thing to think about that Buddy Heald is older than Bradley Beal. Looking ahead to this year's draft, 
it, because they don't have any glaring needs positionally, I say they just take the best player available. I agree. So it's so weird because you can look at the roster and I still don't feel bad about what they have in Sacramento, but unfortunately the product has been bad. They've had some great flashes. They've had some moments like they just blew out the Clippers the other day, but consistently they have not been a good basketball team. I mean, and you just get a lackey like me to come along and go, well, you know, I like their young talent. Maybe Luke Walton will uh-huh. work out and I take them to the playoffs. This is a team that has severely underachieved this season. Absolutely. And from the very start, when they started out 0-5 and they blamed it on a trip to India, well, they haven't rallied since that point. So on that disappointing note, that's going to do it for our discussion on the bottom feeders of the NBA. Things might get ugly from here, but then they only get better because then we've got playoff basketball Mm -hmm. and none of these teams will be in those conversations. So I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.